Bible. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Would you hold up the Bible all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me on page number 319, if you have an old Schofield Bible, 319, or the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 1. And I want to read some verses here in just a moment, and then I'll ask you, if you will, to leave your Bibles open and to follow me through this text. I, along, I'm sure, with many other preachers this morning, will take a text from 1 Samuel and preach about motherhood for just a little bit. And uh, so what a great chapter to do so, but there are great truths here in this chapter, not just for Mother's Day, but for any day. And if you'll just listen, I hope the Lord will have something for us this morning. Again, happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers, and I encourage you to get around if you can to see your mama and spend some time with her today. But don't forget your Heavenly Father tonight, all right? You know, ordinarily on Sunday night uh, of Mother's Day, church attendance kind of drops off dramatically. And uh, so uh, I want to encourage you to be here tonight, if you will, at 5.30, of course, prayer room at 5.05, and then our service this evening, all right? First Samuel chapter 1, if you're there, would you say amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. I want to ask you a question, and my question is this. How much did you spend on your mother this year? How much did you spend on Mother's Day? According to a website called statisticbrain.com, there are 85.4 million mothers in America. Now, what that means is there's only 330 million of us in America, so almost one-third of the people in America are, are mothers. I also read on that same website that leading up to Mother's Day this year that there will be 671 million Mother's Day cards purchased in view of Mother's Day. A whopping 26 billion, with a B, dollars is projected to be spent on Mother's Day this year, which means, and you do the math, the average person in America will spend $168.94 on their mother. Again, I ask you, how much did you spend on Mother's Day this year? Now think about that, $26 billion. Compare that to a paltry $15 billion on Father's Day, and we come to understand the depths of love that people have for their mothers. And may I say rightly so. I stood in line this week with some big old burly dudes, man. Some of them look like biker dudes, long hair and tattoos. And there we all stood in line waiting to purchase a card for either our mothers or the mother of our children. You know, it amazes me that even the hardest of men have a soft place in their heart when it comes to the subject of their mothers. But you know something, when it comes to Mother's Day, I find that this is one of those holidays that are filled with and packed with great emotion. In other words, when it comes to Mother's Day and this vast crowd of people this morning, I, I find that there are three great emotions that go in to Mother's Day. Let me explain that. First of all, there are a lot of people sitting in this room this morning when it comes to Mother's Day. You are glad. You're glad. This is a day to honor your mother. Your mother's still living, and maybe you have plans to head over after church to your mama's house, maybe carry in some food or whatever.
whatever, and just spend some time with your mama. I'd like to encourage you to do that if you can, because you better do it while you can, because mamas aren't here forever. Or maybe yesterday you had a cookout with your mother, made homemade ice cream and put it on pound cake, and just had a great time with your mama. You know, that leads me to say a lot of people are just glad when Mother's Day comes around. It's a good day. But then there's other people that sit in our church this morning, and they're not glad for Mother's Day, but they're sad for Mother's Day. And the reason is being sad is because your mother is no longer with you. You know, many people sitting in this room today would give anything if they could spend one more Mother's Day with their mama. If they could go to her house and have a meal with her or just go be with her. Maybe buy her a nice gift, a flower, or get her a card, or maybe, if nothing else, just to pick up the phone and call her today and thank her for all that she has done for you in life. But death came and your mother had slipped out of this world into eternity. Death has come and taken your mama from you. You know, we have some of our families that sit right here in this service today, and they're un in unfamiliar territory because this is the first Mother's Day that they've ever had without their mama. Sometime between Mother's Day last year and Mother's Day this year, their mama has slipped out into eternity. That's true for many of our church families. I think about the Shirley Johnson family and the Pat Whitaker family and the Pat Starbuck family and the Barbara Tucker family and the Betty Noah family and the Judy Crocker family and the Linda Carter family. I'm talking about families that are sitting here today and this is, and probably many more, and I didn't mean to leave anybody out. Those were just some that came to my mind. But uh, you know many families that sit right here, people today, this is your first Mother's Day without your mother. And because of that you're sad today uh, on this Mother's Day. So some people are glad and some people are sad, but then some people feel bad on Mother's Day. You know why? Because there's couples sitting here and try as you have might, uh, you've been able, unable to have a child yet. You know, for some reason, you know, there's some people that just struggle when it comes to having a child. And although you love your mother very much, maybe as a lady, you sit here in this service today and one of the deepest longings of your heart is for you to be a mother yourself. So with each passing Mother's Day comes a sense of feelings of great desperation because you want to be a mother for yourself, and yet for some reason that has just not happened for you this morning as of yet. Well, I don't know how you feel, glad or sad or bad. The one thing I want you to know this morning is there is always hope. You know, as long as God is alive in heaven and God will never die, there is always hope always hope. That's the reason I had you to open your Bible this morning to the book of 1 Samuel because in this chapter this morning, we find a God of hope at work in a very hopeless setting and situation. Now, re remember, I, I said this is good for Mother's Day, but really it's good for any day because the truth of the matter is there's not only mamas who sit in this room today who need a touch and, a, and help from God. Man, there's some burly dudes sitting in this room today. There's some men sitting in here some families sitting in this room today and the one thing that we need to get along in life, we need some hope. Can I have an amen? We need some hope. Well, I'm preaching this morning on this thought right here. I'm preaching on a Mother's Day miracle. 
You know, there's some people sitting in this room, maybe some mamas this morning, and you need a miracle. And then there's others that's sitting here, and maybe you just need a miracle. But whatever the case is, I'm glad that I can tell you this morning, there's a God up in heaven that loves you and wants to work in your life. Now let me stop this morning. Let's begin reading in this chapter for just a moment. Let me start with verse number 1 just to kind of get your mind moving in this direction. Notice verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephratite. And he had two wives. Now hold on just a minute. We're already in trouble here. Because this old boy, he's crazy enough that he's got two wives. And the thing about it is, it's not just one at a time. These women live in the same house with this guy. Now, I'm telling you something. You talk about in trouble, we're in trouble, miss. You better know we're in trouble. Look at verse 2. He had two wives. The name of uh, one of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man, Elkanah, and his wives, they went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her... And then would you notice this word is plural, her sons... And her daughters, again plural, he gave them a portion. But unto Hannah, he gave a, worldly, a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now i got to tell you something. We're in trouble right off the bat. Our text this morning is about a lady by the name of Hannah. And when we first bump into Hannah, we find that she is a lady who is already in great distress. She is a woman with a great problem. Let me tell you something. In reality, her life is a mess through no fault of her own. You know, most of the time when our lives get in the mess, it's really our own fault because we've made some bad decisions in life and we bring about the messes and the storms and the problems in our own life. And yet here's a lady in our text this morning that's just living life and yet as she just lives out the routine of her life, she finds herself in a big old mess. I wonder who sits here in this room this morning and your life has become a mess. Maybe through no fault of your own and then maybe you're one of those who made some bad decisions and brought the own your own mess into your life. Whatever the case is, Hannah, this woman that we're talking about this morning, was in a real mess. Let me elaborate on that for just a moment by telling you this. Number one, her country, her country was in a mess. Now, we know that the book of Judges has its setting, I'm sorry, the book of 1 Samuel has its setting in the roots of the soil of the book of Judges. And when you go back into the book of Judges, oh, you find a nation, a country that is in a great mess. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if you were to go back and read through the book of Judges, you'd find out those days were marked by great wickedness. For the most part, the country that Hannah lived in had just become one big gigantic moral cesspool. I mean, leadership in her country was rotten. They couldn't make up their mind which God they were going to serve. Kind of sounds a whole lot like our nation today. 
You know, our nation today, unfortunately, has become one big gigantic moral cesspool. The leadership of America is bad. We can't make up our mind which God we're going to serve. In fact, we got a president. Don't get mad at me. I'm just merely stating the fact. We have a president that stood up on the National Day of Prayer and talked about praying and didn't even mention the God, the God that we pray to in his entire speech. You want me to tell you why? I'll tell you why I didn't want to offend anybody. Isn't it a sight that we're living in a nation that has become a moral cesspool with rotten leadership and we don't even know which God we ought to serve. Oh, in case you're in limbo about that, let me tell you, the one we serve around here is the God who's got a boy by the name of Jesus. That's the God that we serve. And by the way, that's the only God there is. He's the only God there is. Her country was in a mess. Oh, yeah, our country's in a mess. Number two, not only was her country in a mess, but number two, her church was in a mess. Did you notice there in verse number three that we're told that they had set up the tabernacle of the Lord in a place called Shiloh? And then we're just told in verse number three, it's like the Holy Spirit just throws these in. And by the way, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there. Now, if you want to know what kind of a church that Hannah had to attend back in her day, let me tell you something. It was not a good one. These two boys that were the preacher's boys were bad to the bone. You talk about boys that were in a mess. You talk about boy. You talk about going to church in a mess. Hannah had to go. Her country was a mess, and she couldn't even go to church without it being a mess because the preacher's kids were ruining things down at the house of God. I mean, Hophni and Phineas. The Bible said Phineas. They were laying with women at the door of the house of God. Can you imagine coming to church this morning and when you walked in the door, uh, you had to step over a woman and a man laying right there in the door, the, thre the, the, the door facing of the house of God? I mean, they, these boys were terrible and this was going on inside of the house of God. Let me tell you this, they were threatening people. They were stealing people's sacrifices. They were threatening to beat up people right there at the house of God. In fact, it had got so bad right there in the house of God that the Bible said, that people actually abhorred the offering of the Lord. For Psy County Translation, they hated going to church. You know why? Church was a mess. Can I stop and say our country's a mess? But can I say this? Our churches are in a mess today as well. You me tell you why churches are in a mess. I'll tell you why. Because the leaders of the church are in a mess. That's right. Preachers' are, lives are messy. Deacons' lives are messy. Uh, teachers' lives are messy. I'll tell you why the church has is, is lost confidence in, our, in the sight of a lost and a dying world. It's because the leaders of the church are, are, are living messy lives. Her country was a mess. Her church was a mess. But then to beat off, that, if that ain't bad enough, her clan was in a mess. Now, when I talk about her clan being in a mess, I'm talking about her family. You know, you can kind of weather the storm of your country being in a mess, and you can kind of weather the storm of your church being in a mess if you can go home, shut the door, and close the blinds and have a little peace at home. Am I right about that? If you got peace at home this morning, you ought to thank God 10 million times for peace in your home. 
I read about this one man. He went to the mailbox and he opened up the mailbox and there was a letter in there from Uncle Sam requiring him to report for military service. He didn't think anything about it. He just turned over, wrote on the back of it, can't come, got war at home. You know something? There's a lot of homes that are at war this morning. There's a lot of people sitting right here in this room today. Your marriage is on the rocks. I mean, you can't get along with her. She can't get along with you. The kids can't get along with either of you. And it's just one big old row at your home constantly. Buddy, I want to tell you something. We ought to thank God for peace at home. But Hannah couldn't even go home and have peace. I told you a moment ago, verse number two, her husband had already married another woman. Can you imagine the tension in that home of these two women vying for the same attention and the affection of the same man? I mean, can you just imagine what Hannah had to live in? I mean, here's the thing. Hannah couldn't have children. For some reason, verse number five says the Lord had shut up her womb. Biologically speaking, she couldn't conceive a child. But here come this ringer. And by the way, most people think the reason Elkanah went out and brought that other ringer in, that woman out of the bullpen in, is because Hannah couldn't have children. So he went out and found a woman that could have children. And right off the bat, Elkanah and Peninnah, man, they start having babies like crazy. In fact, I, I want you to look down at verse number 4, and if you'll look, and I called your attention to the sons and daughters. Peninnah had sons and daughters. That tells me the least that she had was two sons and two daughters. So, I mean, right out the gate, it's four to nothing. Hannah don't have any children. And to make matters worse, if you'll look there at verse number 6, this other woman is constantly poking fun at Hannah because she can't have children. The Bible said she provoked her sore to make her to fret. I'm telling you, you must, she must have been saying some hurtful, hateful things to, to Hannah to, to make her fret. So here she is in a real mess. And no doubt she's constantly asking herself, why? Why can't I have children? What's wrong with me? Lord, what have I done? I don't understand that because verse 5 said, the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, I said all that to say this. She's in a mess. Her country, her church, her clan, I mean, her whole life is a mess. Again, I ask you, how's your life today? Is your life a mess? Well, if you're sitting here and saying, Preacher, my life is one gigantic problem. I am one drama-filled person. I want to tell you something. You've come to the right place to get help this morning. Because we read in our text in verse number 7 that with all this mess going on in her life, guess what? Hannah got a Mother's Day miracle. Some of you may be sitting here and say, Preacher, be honest with you. It'd take a miracle to get me out of the mess that I'm in today. You're welcome to the place where miracles happen. Right here in the house of God. So how did she get her Mother's Day miracle? It's four to nothing. This other woman is driving her crazy. Her husband is indifferent, insensitive to it all. It looks like she's in a hopeless situation, but always remember, when it comes to God, there is hope. Amen. Let me show you this. Look in our text this morning. I want to point out three things. We'll be done in a moment about this text. First of all, I want you to notice, number one, Hannah's coming to the Lord. Notice her coming to the Lord. Now we read in verse number seven that Hannah went up, she went up 
to the house of the Lord. Now, let me tell you something. That's a good thing to do when you're having problems in your life. You know, ordinarily, one of the things that people scratch off their to-do list is when they start having problems in their life, when they lose all hope, when they don't see things getting any better, one of the first things they mark off their to-do list is to go to the house of God. And one of the things they say is, well, I don't want to go up there and be a church at church with all these problems going on in my life. I don't want to be a hypocrite about things, so I'm not going to go back to church until I get my problems straightened out. Now, let me tell you something. If that's your philosophy. Buddy, I'm telling you something. You ain't never, this is your last service. We'll never see you again. You know why? You're going to have problems from here all the way to heaven. We're going to have troubles. The Bible said that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Let me give you a good verse. Job 14, 1. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles. Let me tell you something about your days. They're going to be few days and they're going to be full days. You say, what are they going to be full of? Full of trouble. We all got problems. Nobody knows the trouble. We all got problems. You got problems, I got problems, all God's children got problems. Hey, what you need to do is when you start having problems in this walk of life, don't quit coming to church. That's when you need church more than you've ever needed it before. Let me tell you why. Because when you come to the house of the Lord, you get to meet with the Lord of the house. You know why God instituted the church to start with? God created and ordained His church on this earth so that His people could come and gather together in His presence and He could speak to us. Now, if you doubt that, I want to show you a verse. Look at this verse right here. And there, speaking of that Old Testament tabernacle, which is, I guess would say, would be the equivalent of our New Testament church. And God said to those people in the Old Testament, there, I'll meet with thee. Aren't you glad we got a place that we can come to that the Lord can meet with us? And But he not only said, hey, I'm going to meet with you there, but he said, I'm going to commune. I'm going to speak with you there. I'm glad we got a place where we can meet with God, and I'm glad we got a place where God can speak to us. And the Bible said it was to that place. Here she comes with all those problems, all that trouble going on in her country, and all that trouble going on in her church, and all that trouble going on in her life. Here she comes dragging all that stuff in to the house of God because she realized she could get some help at the house of God. I don't care how bad things get in our country. I don't care how bad things may get in church. I don't care how bad things get in your life. I'm so thankful there's a place we can still come to. Maybe not everybody's going to get spoken to, but I thank God every once in a while, God will pass through and he'll commune and speak with us in this place right here. Everybody needs this place right here. Everybody needs the church. Hannah went to church that day. You know why she needed help from God? Now, I know that sounds simple. But it's not as simple as it sounded when you consider, again, all that was going on in her life. She could have used excuses like a lot of people do. I mean, she could have said, you know, COVID's going around. I mean, we blame everything on COVID, don't we? I went the other day, was going to buy some stuff to pour in my, my uh, car thing to squirt the windshield off, and they said we don't have any because of COVID. We don't have windshield wiper fluid because of COVID. Figure that one out now. So I've just got where I blame everything on COVID. When my wife gets after me for not taking out the trash, I said, honey, it's COVID. It's COVID's fault. <laughs> Whatever. Just blame it on COVID anymore. 
She could have said, I can't go to church. She could, have, she could have used excuses like this. She could have said, you know, I'm not going to church. Church is a mess. I mean, the preacher's boys are a mess. What's going on up there in that church is so bad and so hypocritical. I'm, just, I'm not going to have anything else to do with that church. That's an excuse she could have used. She could have used the excuse like, well, God's not been fair to me. For some reason, God's not allowed me to have children. And he's letting my adversaries fall to nothing. It's the bottom of the night. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, God's been unfair to me. God's not done me right. God's let me down. She could have used all those excuses. And yet we read in verse 7, that she went up to the house of the Lord. I don't know what you brought into this church today. I don't know what kind of baggage you drug in when you walked in these doors. I don't know what's going on in your life, but let me just say you're in a good place to get help because this is a place where God meets with his people and this is a place where God speaks to his people. Let me tell you something what that tabernacle was to Hannah. The house of God is to you and to me. She came to the Lord. I'm so glad you're here. You say, well, I'm, the only reason I'm here is because mama got after me. Good for your mama. But she knew this. You could get some help if you'd come to church today. Hannah's coming to the Lord. Number two, watch this. Not only Hannah's coming to the Lord, but let me say number two, Hannah's calling on the Lord. That's right. The Bible said here she is with this big old mess going on in her life, with all this hurt. And can you just imagine how baffled she is? She's trying to live for God, trying to do what's right. And yet this other lady, Penina, she's not shown in a good light. She didn't have a whole lot of character. And yet she's got babies. Hannah has no babies. Can't you just imagine Hannah scratching her head thinking, God, why are you mad at me? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Can you just imagine how baffled she is by all that is going on in her life? And then, I mean, think about the home life that she has. I mean, those two women constantly at each other. And that, that other woman just constantly just needling her, constantly throwing those insults toward her. I mean, it's got to be a terrible, terrible situation to live in. But Hannah took all that and she went to the house of God, but she just didn't go sit there, the Bible said she called upon the Lord. Look at verse 10 of chapter number 1. The Bible said she was in bitterness of soul and she prayed unto the Lord. Aren't you glad we got a God that can answer prayer? Aren't you glad there's a God sitting up there in heaven that hadn't tuned us out? He hadn't cut us off. He's a God that'll still answer prayer when we call upon Him. I mean, here she is in this mess. Can I tell you something really when she went to church that day she was barren. She had nothing on the inside. There was no life. There was nothing going on on the inside. She was barren. She was broken. I mean, you stop and think about her heart had been shattered into a thousand pieces. She was bothered. This adversary, this other woman would not let her alone. She provoked her day in and day out. And she was burdened. She was burdened by it all. She was reaching the point of desperation. She wanted God to do something for her. So there she comes. She's barren. She's broken. She's bothered. She's burdened. But when she came to the house of God, 
that day. She came believing. She thought God. She knew God could do something for her. So she calls out to God. She cries out to God. Let me tell you something, friend. We'd get some help if we'd get back to crying out to God again. I'm telling you, if we'd get on this altar and just bear our souls and unload our problems and just lay it at the feet of Jesus and soak it good with some tears, I'm telling you, business will pick up when God's people get to calling on God again. Yeah, she called on the Lord. And if you look at verse 11, here's her prayer. In verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, she made a promise Put that in Forsyth County language. She made a promise. And she said this, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt look indeed on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. Right in the middle of this prayer, she makes God a promise. And by the way, you got to like our prayers because unlike our prayers, it's always this. Our prayers mostly are, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But she said, God, if you give me, I'll give you. You give it to me, I'll give it back to you. You give me a man child, I'll give this child back to you. And by the way, that wasn't just an empty promise that Hannah made in a season of desperation. Can I stop and say this? It's easy to make God promises when we're at a, at a point and a season of desperation in our life. How many times have I walked into a hospital room and there lays one of our members. I don't have anybody in mind, so don't think. I know Brother Tim's talking about so-and-so right now, but I'm not. I'm going to clear my mind right now. It's gone. Can I tell you something? How many times have I went to a hospital before and there lays one of our members who's almost got completely out of church, they're sick in body, and they look at me and say, Brother Tim, if God will just touch me and heal me, I promise you I'll get back in church again. Boy, I've heard that one before. How many times have I heard this one? If God will just heal my loved one, I promise God before you preach and before God, I promise God I'll serve God if he'll heal my wife, if he'll heal my baby, if he'll raise up my child. I'll serve God all the days of my life. Or I've heard this one before in my office. Here's a man and his wife. He's got caught messed up. He's cheated on her or whatever or vice versa. And they'll look at me and say, Brother Tim, pray that God will keep my marriage together. If God will keep my marriage together, I promise you, Brother Tim, I'll serve God all the days of my life, only to find out those were promises that were broken. That's right. You see, it's easy to make promises in a time of desperation. But here's the problem with most people. Look up on the screen. Many people are long on promises, but short on performances. They make God these swelling promises. They promise God this and promise God that only to find out when the sickness is over and the sun's shining again and things are better in the marriage and they've got a good job and the bills are being paid. Okay, God, I forgot about all that. And ladies and gentlemen, it's time that God's people get back to honoring the promises that they make. 
What promise have you made to God that if he would touch you and help you, what promise did you make God in the hour of sickness or the hour of struggle or sorrow as God performed his end, but you let down on your end? Oh, brother, I'm telling you, when she went to the house of God, she cried out to the Lord and made God a promise. You say, preacher, did she keep her promise? Read over at the end of this chapter, verse 24. The Bible said she took that little boy up there and dropped him off at the house of God she kept her word. Amen. It's her coming to the Lord. Her calling upon the Lord. But I want you to look in our text at her changing by the Lord. Now we're done. It's 1058 and we're done. I know the ham's cooking. I know we got to go. But let me tell you this. God changed Hannah in that service that day. Verse 7 says she went up to the house of the Lord. And if you look back at verse 7, let me describe her condition before she went to church. First of all, look at verse 7. At the end of verse number 7, emotionally she's a wreck. Because we read at the end of verse 7 that she's weeping. So emotionally she's a wreck. Number 2, physically she's a wreck. Look again at verse 7. The Bible said she did not eat. So emotionally, she's weeping. Physically, she can't eat. Probably eat up with ulcers. She can't eat. And then if you look back up at verse number 6, spiritually, she's a mess. Because we read in verse 6, the last phrase, the Lord had shut up. It's God's fault she ain't having babies. It's not Hannah's fault. It's God's fault. So before church, she's weeping. Before church, she can't eat. Before church, she's baffled by it all. I'm telling you, she is a wreck. But she went to church that day. And little did she know the day that she went to the house of God, that was the service that God used to change the rest of her life. I wonder who's sitting here today. You know, I pray that for our church. I pray that our church will be a life-changing church. Don't you? I mean, I don't want to just come to church and it be business as usual. God, help us with business as usual services. God, help us with routine services on Sunday morning. Don't you like to see people come to church and God change the rest of their life? Some of you, your life was changed in one service right here. You came in a mess, you walked down an aisle, received Jesus, and your life changed forever. Who knows, this could be the service that will change somebody's life. Let me show you what I mean. Look down at verse number 18 of this text. Service is now over. It's time to go home. And if you look at verse number 18, she says this. Verse 18, so the woman went her way and did. What's the next word? Before church, she couldn't eat. After church, she's gnawing on a chicken leg. She did eat. Listen, listen, physically, she got help. But then look again at verse number 18, and it says this, and her countenance was no more sad. Before church, she's weeping. After church, she's happy. What made the difference? She had her life changed at a service at the house of God. And buddy, not only that, look back up into verse number, uh, verse number, verse 19. The Bible said they rose up early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. She's worshiping God now before she's mystified. She's baffled, but now she's worshiping God. By the way, before God ever touched her, she's worshiping God. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. She went to the house of God and that service changed the rest of her life. 
emotionally, physically, spiritually, she's changed. Boy, I want God to do that in somebody's heart today. Now watch this. Then come to verse 20. She was changed domestically because the Bible said when they got home that Elkanah, I'm sorry, last phrase of verse 19, Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in verse number 20, in Forsyth County language, she's craving chocolate-covered pickles, watermelon with peanut butter in the middle of the night. She's gone down to the CVS store, bought an EPT test, and it comes back with a blue, a blue plus. She's going to have a baby. God did that. Amen. Can I tell you something? God can still do things like that today. I mean, this was a Mother's Day miracle. And one trip to the house of God changed her life forever. I want to show you this and I'm done. So in verse 24, she carries him up to the house of God. And the Bible said she left him there. And by the way, verse 28 says this, uh, the last phrase, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now he's barely three years old. And when she drops him off at church, he's already worshiping. Now he's never been to church before. So how, how did he know how to worship? I'll tell you why. I think you've been watching his mama worship at home. I'm telling you, there ain't no substitute for old-fashioned home worship but it, and letting our children see and it's real. And then when they get over here to church of God, uh, to church, they know how to worship God then. So she brings him, she drops him off. Now watch this. She dropped him off, verse 24. He worshiped the Lord there. And somebody says, boy, I sure feel sorry for Hannah now because she ain't got no more children. She's got to go back home, and that adversary is going to start provoking her sore again. She's give that one away that God gave her. She kept a word. She gave him away. But look over in chapter 2 in verse number 20, verse number 21, and we're done. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. Watch this. She gave one away. She got five back. You can't outgive God. Whatever you give God, God's going to give you five times more back. I'll give God any day a dollar to get back a five. Wouldn't you? I mean, here she's giving one away, and God gave her one back. You know why? I'll tell you why. She had a Mother's Day miracle. Now, I don't know what you need today. I really don't. I, I don't know. But I do want to tell you this. When all hope seems lost, God still can. I mean, when you reach a point that you just say, I don't, I'm done. I'm, I'm through with this. I, I don't know what else to do. I just want to tell you, walk out these doors knowing one thing. There's a preacher standing behind a pulpit right here with an open King James Bible that believes God can still do anything. He can help you. He can meet your need, whatever that need may be. A Mother's Day miracle. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that...